Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages again, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of the service. Thanks, Dylan, for the kind words. He never says that in you know personal time. He always says it up here. Thank you for that. Appreciate you. I feel that. I need it sometime. Um, morning. How are we doing this, this morning? Good, good. We just came off of Thanksgiving, right? It's officially Christmas season. Like for me, Christmas season starts the day after Thanksgiving. You know, it's tradition. My wife and I and our brand new baby girl, Lonnie, we go out and get the tree. We, we don't cut it down. We fake cut it down. And we take a picture and post it on social media, right? And then we, uh, we decorate the house, we get our ornaments out. I don't know about you, but my wife is insane about Christmas. We have totes on top of totes, on top of totes, on top of totes of Christmas decorations. We have a village that's becoming a city because she has so much stuff. Uh, the ornaments, all that stuff, we have a great, great time with it. But uh, hands down, my favorite holiday, other than my birthday, because I consider it a holiday, um, <laughs> is Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I love food. I love family. I love football, right? Even though the games this week, this year weren't that fun. Um, but my most important thing that I like about Thanksgiving is that it's on a Thursday, right? Because you wake up and all day you think it's Saturday, right? And you're like, gosh, it's Saturday. But then you remember it's Thursday. And you're like, I have like three, four more days of not have to go back to work. Yes. That's my favorite part about Thanksgiving that it's on a Thursday and I have so much time to just hang out and not deal with work. I love my job though. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, the food, I love food. Who else does this? Take your mac and cheese and you take your sweet potatoes or yams, whichever one you call it, and you mix it together and then you just, and you shovel it. You shovel it and you have no guilt about shoveling it. That's me, that's how I eat my mac and cheese and uh, my sweet potatoes. Just a quick insider. Um, Today is a special day for me. And it's a special day because two years ago on this exact date, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I had the honor and the privilege of speaking to you guys from this pulpit. Uh, it was a great honor. Um, every time I get to come up here and speak, I consider it a great honor that uh, God has blessed me with and that uh, Pastor Paul and the leaders of this church have put faith in me to do. So um, yeah, th today's a significant day. Um, it marks two years since I've been, you know, uh, preaching here at this church and on staff, and it's an amazing time, and I've been more than blessed. So again, uh, on behalf of myself and my family, and going to Dylan and Pastor Paul and the leadership, and you guys, thank you for uh, blessing me with this. Um, without anything being said, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. Father, in this season of thankfulness, I pray that you keep the important matters on the forefront of our mind. Lord, I pray that you use us as beacons of light and hope in this dark world. And that everything that we are thankful for, that we never take it for granted. Father, be with us today as we share your word. Let your words be, let my words be your words. 
open up ears to hear and hearts to feel and our minds to understand and let it be applicable and usable in our everyday lives. We thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I oftentimes find myself in moments of reflection. I sit on the edge of my bed or on the couch and I ponder on the events of yesteryear. I reflect on what I've seen, what I've experienced, and how it's shaped the man that I am today. In the words of Luther Vandross, I can only speak for the things that I've been through. It's a great song. I would sing it, but my voice isn't too good. <laughs> what you and I have been through play a significant role in our perceptions. Our perceptions enable us to assess any and every situation and make decisions in them. In fact, it is very tightly related to our actions and our emotions. One might say that there is power in your perception. I recently celebrated a birthday about three weeks ago. I turned 31 years old. Clap, clap, clap for me. Um, when I tell people how old I am, depending on who I'm speaking with, I get two starkly different reactions. The first is when I'm speaking with my high school students who think of everything as a pejorative. They make audacious statements such as, Mr. You're 31? You're so old. I don't know why high school students, they try to do this like influx of deep voice even though they're like going through puberty, your voice is cracking. Like just wait, maturity will give you a deep voice. Um, on the contrary, when I have the same conversation with my elders, they often say, I wish I could go back to 31, or 31, you're a pup. Wait until you're whatever elderly age you seem uh, fit. Now the fact still remains that I am 31. However, the perception in which the fact of the matter is perceived dictates how it is approached and interacted with. This morning, in regard to our scripture, we look at the imperativeness of our perception and how it influences our lives regarding the matters of God and our relationship with him. With that idea in mind, please turn to the scripture we will be sharing this morning, which can be found in my personal favorite book of the Bible, 1 Samuel. We'll be in 1 Samuel in chapter 8. And God's word reads, 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn uh, was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, 
Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. In verse 9, now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Samuel is the judge of Israel. He is now in the twilight of his life and is approaching the finish line of his time. Samuel's sons and heirs to his ministry, Joel and Abijah, in the eyes of Israel are not fit to pick up his mantle, and rightly so. Verse 3, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. The actions you take dictate the impressions that you make. The actions you take dictate the impressions that you make. In other words, your decisions and or choices in life become prerequisites to people's perceptions of who you are. I've always wondered, why is it that during the hiring process, employers want references? They want the opinions of folks who have dealt with you on a personal and even personal level. I mean, should not my resume suffice whatever questions you have? I mean, it tells you everything about me, my talents and skills. It even gives you my home address. Joel and Abijah are perfect examples as to why references are important. On paper, they are the sons of Samuel, the devout and exceptional judge of Israel, but in action and deed, they are far from his cloth. Titus 1, verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny him in their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Joel and Abijah, in title and lineage, profess to know God, but they did not act like it. And this is not unique to them. We may find ourselves in proximity to them, Speaking for myself, I cannot say in my walk that I have never been a less than exemplary example in my actions of Christ. But thank God that when the inevitability of my imperfection shows itself, that I have grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, perception isn't this infallible aspect of cognition. It is often preferential and biased in nature. Again, it is predicated on your actions and your emotions. And decisions or actions made in emotion are usually the wrong one. Amen? Verse 4 and 5. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. The sons of Samuel do not walk in your ways. According to whom? For the sake of argument and the fact that verse 3 said it, we will concede that fact. But the presented notion offered up by the elders is perhaps 
even more inimical to the interests of the people. Instead of finding an adequate successor, let's just do away with the whole thing. In the perception of the elders, the system that, had, that the other nations had in place seemed to yield better, better results, perhaps. They seemed to negate one significant fact, however. Israel wasn't and isn't like the other nations. Israel was and is the Lord's nation, and his people were meant to operate in his ways. But like many times before, their perception became jaded by human nature to run away from the things of God. We've all heard the quote that the grass is greener on the other side. To that I say, no, the grass is green where you water it. And just like the elders of Israel, we sometimes find ourselves envious and coveting things that we perceive to be beneficial, all the while neglecting the things that are actually meant for us to prosper. I pray that we would begin to veer away from what we think is best and focus on what God has for us. And how do we do that? We must pray and commune, study and learn, and operate in the sadness that is so tightly knit to the ways of God that his influence on our lives is undeniable. Now, maybe envisioning these things tangibly seems like hard work, seems tasking, right? But you can start by beginning to exhibit the things that are in the nature of God or Christ. Galatians 5, 22, verse, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There are no mandates or restrictions on these. You are free to operate in these, and they are beneficial for both you and others. I'm going to be a little transparent this morning. We all have our little quirks and weird things that we like to do, things that seem peculiar to folks, right? One of mine's is, I sometimes Google myself. <laughs> like, I'll Google my name. Uh, fun fact. I just want to see what the other Kevins are up to, you know? Maybe, maybe somebody's doing something great. We, have, we share a name. I get a check or something, maybe. Uh, there are 1,068,888 social security administered registered Kevins in the United States. In fact, two of my closest friends are named Kevin. Shout out to Moger and K-Rod. Anyway, as I was spiraling down one of my rabbit holes, I stumbled upon this book. It's called, We Need to Talk About Kevin. <laughs> All right. Um, the author is named Lionel Shiver. I was in, immediately intrigued by Lionel Shiver because she wrote a book with my name in it. God give her some her just due. After Googling her, I came across this quote by her, and I found it very relevant and applicable to our message today. And the quote goes, Yet in my experience, when left to their own devices, people will get up to one of two things, nothing much and no good. Verses seven and nine. And the Lord said to Samuel, 
Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day. Forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Samuel was troubled by the elders of Israel's demands. Perhaps just as Lionel Shiver, he thought or knew that if they were left to their own indignations, Israel would either turn away from God or cease to exist. During that period in Israel's history, there were some significant nations that were also in existence. And they probably looked to these, you know, these nations as an example of what a monarchy should be. The Egyptians, who held them in, in, uh, who held them in captivity as slaves, and the Philistines, who were a constant threat due to their military prowess and their warmongering nature. Now, one might ask, why would you possibly want to model those who oppress you? The answer again is perception. Israel, on the heels of 400 years of captivity and under constant threat of extinction, had perhaps grown weary and were done being on the defensive. Perhaps they wanted to show the other nations that they too were powerful and capable of striking back if need be. And they thought that a show of power via appointing a king would be initial, the initial step in that direction. And perhaps you find yourself in a similar situation. You have reached your rope's end and you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. To that I say, Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. When your enemy, when your enemy or your circumstance is beating you down and is unrelenting in, his, in its assault, Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, God knows your circumstance. He knows your struggles and your shortcomings. He knows your temptations and your weaknesses. And in the face of all of that, he chose you and loved you. Amen. In the old style of warfare that preceded like modern industrial warfare, uh, armies would meet in the field and they would engage in close quarter hand-to-hand -hand combat with like some projectile weapons like catapults and spears or whatever. Um, but they would march in line formations known as a phalanx. And during an enemy charge, it was imperative that the soldiers hold the line. Why? Because if the line was broken, it would create a flank, which would allow your, your enemy to encircle you and eventually lead to the eradication of your army. Hence, maybe in your favorite war movie or war documentary, you'll hear screams of, hold the line or keep the men in line. And I say to that, in the face of your enemies, hold the line. In the face of your trials and tribulations, hold the line. Hold the line and watch the Lord lead you to victory.
So Samuel, after communion with God, about this conundrum that, is, that uh, does as instructed and warns the Israel, uh, Israelites all the things that the king would require of them as their subjects. Verses 10 through 18. So Samuel told all the world, words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and some to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his female servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. Verse 17. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you, will sh you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out and your king whom you have chosen for your, about the, whom you have chosen about yourselves and but the Lord will not answer you in that day. A stern warning in the form of a guarantee is issued. It says, on that day, you will cry out. The word doesn't say may or might. It says, in the day, you will cry out, and the Lord will not answer you. And yet, after being given a stark warning, the people of Israel, in verses 19 and 20, refuse the voice of Samuel. Verses 19 and 20. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like the, uh, all the other nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Samuel's a better man than me. I always say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't put the blame on you. Knowing myself, I would have definitely washed my hands of the situation. I always say another quote, give people what they want and they'll get what they deserve. However, Samuel, knowing the imperativeness of this decision, petitioned the Lord again. He went back to God and he petitioned him to not allow them to get a king. Verses 22 and 23. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. You come up, Evelyn, please. <clears throat> Excuse me. Perception is defined as the ability to see, hear, or become aware of something through the senses or as a way of regarding, 
understanding or interpreting something. It could also be defined as a mental impression. Perception, again, is heavily predicated on your actions, emotions, and senses. In that, you could develop an unhealthy tunnel vision. You could become hyper-focused on the intangible and miss what's right in front of you. I grew up in the Mattapan neighborhood of Boston, a rough and tough inner city community. Uh, if you want to know more about myself and others at this church, uh, please feel free to check out NECC stories on our website, and you can learn a little bit about myself and other folks at this church. Um, it's a great testimony and a great uh, example of what God has done in my life and others. I digress. An unspoken rule in my community, which I'm sure isn't unique just to Mattapan, was that if you locked eyes with somebody, the first person to look away was deemed weak and not tough. And as I reflect on this ridiculous rule that only applied to a portion of the demographic that looked like me, I came to this conclusion. In my perception, these people or persons posed a threat. And in order to let them know that I would not be their victim, I had to show them through this gesture. Now, imagine that during many of what seemed like thousands of micro-interactions, I chose to tear down my perception, rid myself of whatever preconceived discrimination, and interacted without bias. How many relationships could I have formed? And certainly, how many fights could I have avoided? Perceptions can be powerful. They can also be powerfully wrong. See, there's power in our perception. Our preconceived notions can make or break our relationships and how we operate as people. So this morning, I challenge you to rid yourself of yourself. Begin to look through the lens of Jesus. Use the Bible as your barometer of wisdom. Do not make the mistake of letting a new year come and go and allow your circumstances, your shortcomings, and the devil himself to dictate your perception. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel, be the change you want to see in this world. Let's pray. Father, in this time of thankfulness, I pray that we would not ever forget why we are thankful and who has made it possible to have all the things we are thankful for. Father, I pray that our perceptions would be rooted in your truths and not our jaded opinions. I pray, Lord God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we will begin to look at people how you look at them that we will continue to look at interactions and situations how you look at them. And that, Father, we will confide in you and trust in your truth before making any decision. Father, be with us. Let us be able to use this truth 
in tangible ways. We love you and we are so thankful for your truth and so thankful for your sacrifice on the cross. And we do this all in your name. Amen and amen. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to all of our messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify, and go to lowellag.org or ne-cc.org to keep up with all of our news, updates, and events. Thank you, and God bless.